your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, where we are going to stuff your turkey full of football knowledge and hope that you will pass it around virtually to your loved ones, as opposed to infecting them with it by playing it for them in close proximity. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna live up to the trophy that we're gonna discuss in our first game previewed here and be a hero then we need you to stay away from everyone who's close to you uh this isn't going to go away until we take it more seriously because even when the vac even if a vaccine comes out and is widely available what probably 30 percent of the country will refuse to get it so we gotta protect those idiots from themselves guys i told you you're optimistic 30 percent I was pulling a number out of my ass, man. I, it's probably more than that, but I don't want to accept that reality. So, About 73 million people we know will refuse to take it. Anyway, let's talk about Nabarcus at Iowa. This is a time for heroes, and so we're talking about the heroes game. I noticed when I was looking at the schedule, I do feel like there are more and more games being played on Black Friday every year. Has, is, that, is it just me, or do you notice that too? I definitely noticed that. Um, I don't know. It, it's uh, it's a it's a weird proposition because again, Thanksgiving's yet another thing that's weird because of COVID. But we're all pretending like it's not. Um, yeah. But I, I have noticed that Black Friday has absolutely filled up as a football day, and I don't hate it. No, I I don't either. I, on the one hand, I would like to I, I'd like to think to myself that most players get something resembling a normal holiday, but of course, like. Most of them aren't going home anyway. Like they're a lot of them are far enough away from home. It's already close to the end of the semester. You know, I, I guess they're probably for the most part staying on campus anyway. Like you may as well play on the Friday, you know. So to address this game in particular, the line right here is currently Iowa minus 12. That frankly feels a little I don't know. I mean, okay, so the closest thing we have to common opponents here is that Iowa just beat Penn State by 20. Nebraska had previously beaten them by, what, like 7 or 10 or something like that. But when you look at these two teams and their relative resumes, that point of comparison, you, you got to leave that behind. Um, Iowa's a considerably better team than Nebraska. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a game flow kind of like we saw last week between Iowa and Penn State because – Nebraska is very prone to handing the ball over. That's the case with their new quarterback. It's the case with their old quarterback. It's It kind of feels like part of who they are now. And you can't do that against Iowa. Their offense has found their footing good enough, especially running the ball. They're no longer putting everything on Spencer Petrus. They've gotten much better because of it. And so give them more possessions. Let them continue to grind you down and even if they're moving at a slow pace and not running a ton of plays, the scoreboard's going to end up pretty lopsided. Well, they couldn't stop Brandon Peters, so I don't have much hope for them. I have a little more hope for them against the uh, high V store brand, Brandon Peters, that is Spencer Petrus. Uh, I only <laughs> say that because if that was the store brand name of Brandon Peters, that's what it would be called. 
Um, <laughs> I was the, like, from a literal perspective, I was like, well, that's a weird comparison. They don't really have similar play. Oh, I see what he did. Okay. All right. It's literally only because, yeah, like, like great value brand, Brandon Peters would be <laughs> Spencer Petrus. True Petrus or something. <laughs> or, or no, it's almost like that. Uh, remember that Japanese baseball video game that had like made up American names? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> sleeve, sleeve McDykel. <laughs> Oh, simply fantastic. Um, okay, so this I think this is what um a one o'clock Easter or one o'clock central kickoff. Something uh, like yes, that. I believe so. Yeah, so Bobson Dugnut, that was the one. Look, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find an angle here where Nebraska's got an advantage. And it, it's difficult. Iowa plays enough of a safe zone-based defense that Nebraska's multiple reads that are not likely to throw Iowa off their assignments as much. It just feel it frankly feels like an offense that's designed more to play against man. Maybe I'm off base there, but it feels like something that's been more effective when they can read or misdirect specific players. But if those guys are sitting in zones, you know, they're not going to move unless they see a guy coming towards them with the ball. So I don't know. I this series has either been lopsided or very, very close over the last, basically over the last decade. There's been a couple games that have been within one score. Most of them are at least three scores. This feels like it's going to be one of those blowout years. It feels like it's going to be Iowa. Well, if Scott Frost knows what's good for him, what he won't do will be to come back from a big deficit and win it in overtime because that will assure that he gets fired. But, uh, <laughs> but if you look at common opponents, both of them lost by one score to Northwestern, which could mean that Nebraska is 70 points better than Iowa or that Iowa is 70 points better than Nebraska or that they're evenly matched. It means nothing <laughs> that they both lost to Northwestern by one score. It just North, Northwestern is the stone of unknowable material where you touch it and it'll have the same deleterious effect on everybody, but that doesn't mean that one person, you know, that you're equally matched because it has the same bizarre effects on everyone who touches. It does not mean that you're equally matched with anyone else who has felt those same effects. You know, we all know that the transitive property of wins and the comparative property of wins are more things for just discussion than anything that you could really academically uh, use it in an argument, but that is especially true of Northwestern. Northwestern <laughs> results have no relevance to any other matchup and should absolutely never, ever be used with those things. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll move on now to our largest margin game of the week, according to the Vegas line, where Ohio State is a 30 point favorite traveling to Illinois. Are you feeling frisky for your Illini to potentially cover this game? Move that line to 30 and a half and give us those god-awful, oh, god-awful gray uniforms and we'll consider it. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, no. This is Illinois played about as, especially on offense, was playing about as well last week as you, you possibly could have hoped. I was impressed also with how they handled Nebraska's uh, offense, which gashed them last year they actually did a lot better than it it actually wasn't just touchdowns or turnovers um but none of that means a damn thing if indiana 
can't beat Ohio State playing a fairly good game. Uh, we got we got no chance here, really. And um, I don't think this game can get drunk enough for Illinois to pull it out. I, I mentioned this several times that, you know, I felt very good about Illinois-Nebraska because that game got really drunk really early. And because of what Lovey Ball apparently is, is it a meme? Is it a real coaching philosophy? Is it a thing <laughs> where just, well, what does it mean? Basically, what it means is that you know, you don't want to get your team involved in a drinking contest with Illinois. They will drink you under the table. It's like a land war in Asia. Just don't do it. Uh, that being said, I just don't think there's any way this game gets drunk enough that Illinois can find anything. Um, I mean, I think it's going to be basically an exhibition. How much can the Illini put up on Ohio State's defense? Because Ohio State's offense can just, I mean, there's honest to God, if I'm a Buckeye fan, if if they ever don't score a touchdown on a drive against yeah. Illinois, I'm furious. I'm throwing shit at the TV. I'm punching walls. I'm, God damn it, never going to get anywhere in the fucking playoffs, man. <laughs> so if they I, punt a single time. Sure. I'm, I'm looking for angles here. One thing that did occur to me is when I saw the at Illinois, I'm like, all right, well, so maybe it'll be super windy or unpleasant, but I'm looking at the forecast right now and it's 50 degrees and partly cloudy. So I don't think that's Illinois is always oddly unprepared for there to be a 20 mile an hour swirling wind generally going to the North side of the stadium, which there always is. So I'm always confused as to why Illinois always seems like they, they just, they just can't believe this would ever happen to them. Yeah, I mean, if if you had the wind and it was like going to be like 33 degrees and precipitating the whole game where it's like, you know, oscillating between rain and snow and the field gets sloppy and maybe it's just one of those goofy games where nobody can complete a pass, but you're also risking getting stripped if you run the ball. Yeah, basically the way you put it is, yeah, if, if this game got drunk enough, then you could see it being competitive look we saw last week that ohio state can be had through the air a little bit illinois does have a downfield threat in a matter baby the problem is i don't know if you have quite the number of threats that's necessary to get the good matchups i mean part of the reason that fry fogle had big numbers last week well i mean there were a couple of incredible throws by michael Penix, but also they have enough other receiving threats that he wasn't getting doubled very often so I don't think Illinois quite brings that to the table. We'll see, you know, again, I don't think Ohio State's defense is what it has been in recent years. That's not really controversial, I don't think. On the flip side, though, Ohio State is getting their run game on track, and that has been a little bit of an issue for Illinois this year. Well, I mean, I think the way that Ohio State runs the ball is different than, I mean, Ohio State is not going to just pound it between the tackles, assuming that will that will give up like Wisconsin did last year and this year to an extent. Um, I guess again, about as useful as insight as I can provide is if I were playing this in on the video game, what I would do is I would just uh, roll out Brandon Peters to the left side, send a Matter Bebe on a corner route, try and complete that, and then as I keep completing that. Amater Bebe keeps getting stat boosts, and then my whole plan is to just roll out, chuck it down the field to him in coverage, and hope he comes up with it. Um, oddly enough, that might end up being the game plan. That was literally what they did against Michigan State last year. 
Um, but that's exactly what I always do in these situations where I've got a really good receiver and a quarterback that can just roll out enough that he doesn't get insta-sacked every time I'm playing on Heisman mode. Um, <laughs> what I'm seeing this game, best case scenario, is it's like the 2013 game where we went down 28 to nothing and then started scoring points and it got fun. Uh, we lost 60 to 35, but I wasn't all that mad about it. Um, and then hopefully without the devastating tornadoes that came through central Illinois the next day. Yeah. we'd like to avoid that part, but I think there's at least a decent chance of that happening. You know, remember Ohio state in a, even not the tornado York, thing. No, I'm talking about the fun part, the fun game part, because Ohio state gave up 35 to Indiana last week in a competitive game, you know, earlier in the season, although they controlled the, pace of play they gave up 27 to Rutgers so this defense will yield some points I mean they're again like I said they're, they're not what they used to be on that side of the ball a little bit of a transition year so I don't think that's we'll, you know we'll see that 30 line feels pretty big is was what I'm saying it I think Ohio State's at a point where they don't they don't really need style points because if they just win out which is entirely within reach with the remaining schedule they've got again it's Illinois, Michigan State, Michigan, and then the Big Ten title game, which is probably going to be Northwestern. If they win those games, they're going. So I don't think they're going to feel the need to run it up. I don't see any <clears throat> personal slighted issue. I think no, you could yeah. argue, you could argue that Illinois is the most dangerous team left on their schedule. I say that not because I think Northwestern's necessarily shitty. They're definitely better than us. It's just that the style that Northwestern plays, if you out-talent them to the extent that Ohio State does, you just don't have much recourse for it, you know? Yeah, that's um, why what I said that what you said that I think makes you right there is the word dangerous because Northwestern might be a stronger team that keeps the game closer longer, but Illinois is basically it, it's basically just saying that they're more explosive. There's a wider range of outcomes that are possible with Illinois than there seems to be with Northwestern or either of the other two teams. So Illinois has a player on their offense that Ohio State recruited. I mean, granted, we can't figure out what to do with Isaiah Williams right now, but still, um, yeah, that's that's really what uh that's really what it is. It's very possible that Illinois could be the most dangerous team Ohio State has left on their schedule till the playoff. I, I don't think that's really anything too controversial, actually. So all right, we'll move on now to a game between a couple more red teams that I frankly don't know what to do with from a line perspective. Maryland going to Indiana is giving or is getting 15 points. Maryland's kind of a mystery here, aren't they? Because they've had a couple of weeks off now. I mean, we're just talking about volatility and range of outcomes. Uh, yeah. Maryland yeah. has been the king of that. They lost to Northwestern 44-3 and then housed Penn State. And and so based on that data, what exactly are we supposed to make of them where they are? I mean, is the real I guess what you can what you can say is basically given to the recency bias and say, well, look, the most recent thing we've seen here is that they have a capable quarterback and that their defense has improved somewhat, although they're certainly going to give up some points. I don't know how else you would evaluate this game other than maybe do you worry about some kind of letdown factor from Indiana? But, you know, at risk of fanboying out for Tom Allen too hard, I don't think there's really much chance of that happening. Yeah, I feel like if anything, they'd be encouraged by that 
loss and not completely demoralized by it because it, it is very much a proof of concept that, you know, it feels more like a proof of concept than the, you're right in that it does feel more like a proof of concept than the best chance they're ever going to get. But, um, but, but yeah, with Maryland, you know, they beat Penn state, but now Penn state is zero and five. So maybe that's not that useful an indicator. They did beat Minnesota, which you could probably fairly call the median in the Big Ten West, even though they're one and four. Um, they were a strong one and four, I guess. Jeez. Um, they 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 only lost. Look, there are just a few points. They're four points away from being a three and two team. Minnesota is. So, but um, yeah, yeah. So, wait. <laughs> You know, the only funny thing about Maryland's schedule, though, is even if they play all the rest of their games because of the way they lined up, they could get through this season having only played two home games. Wow. (laughs) So the Minnesota game was at home, and their last game of the season against Rutgers is at home, but they lost home games against Michigan State and Ohio State the last two weeks. They go to Indiana, and then they go to Michigan before finishing with Rutgers at home, which, again, you know... By then, who knows if we're even still playing? Like they could just maybe the conference calls off all those games that last week in the name of trying to save the championship week or something. I, who can really say at this point? But it would be it would be just one more oddity in a season full of them. I'd love uh, if our game against Northwestern got called off. That'd be sick. I don't want to play Ohio State, uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's without knowing who Maryland is going to have available. It's safe to say after two weeks of missed games, they're probably going to get most of their guys back, but maybe there are a couple of later developing cases that are still out. And if it's the wrong guy, like they've got two scholarship quarterbacks. If one of them is out because of COVID or contract tracing and the other gets hurt, this game's Indiana in a romp. But if Maryland's at full strength, then it's probably going to be closer than 15 points. I yeah, that's why I started this in speaking in terms of the line. I don't know what you do with this if you're thinking about betting on this game. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't touch it. I mean, all the circumstances are favoring Indiana right now, but y- y- you just never know what to. I-, I just don't know what to make of Maryland as far as I mean, they really have shown that they can put it together on offense. Um, but yeah, what can you say? 2020 is fucking weird, man. In football, yeah. Speaking of weird, um, your undefeated, presumptive Big Ten West champion, Northwestern Wildcats, nine-point favorites traveling to one-win Michigan State. Um, okay, I, let's start with the simplest thing here, which is that barring some kind of... All right, um, unless Michigan State staff was able to use their unexpected buy last week to find a weakness in Northwestern's defense on par with what Michigan had in terms of, you know, playing man coverage with slow corners. If there isn't some kind of schematic vulnerability like that in Northwestern's defense, and I'm just going to go ahead and venture a guess that there isn't, I don't think Michigan state scores on offense in this game, other than maybe a sad field goal at some point. Um, Their offense has scored two touchdowns in their last two games against inferior defenses relative to what they're seeing here that said northwestern's offense doesn't exactly inspire confidence so okay so you said northwestern's offense doesn't ex- and then i thought you were going to say it doesn't exist um, um which well, it could, kind um, of exists but oh it's it's there look what we saw from them in the wisconsin game is that look this run game is not all that good 
but they've got a quarterback in Peyton Ramsey who can make just enough plays between his running and his throwing to keep the chains moving often enough to put a few points on the board. So I think the most likely outcome is that this is something like a 14-3 or 17-7 game, although, I mean, 17-7 gives us as much credit as Wisconsin got for last week, and I think there's going to I think it's going to be a wider margin than that. I would probably take Northwestern to cover this spread, but I mean, again, like the, the inexorable tendency of Pat Fitzgerald to play games close, maybe this is one of those stupid things where it's like 10, nothing going into the fourth quarter. And then there's a fumble return for a touchdown or something. That's really the only way I see Michigan state keeping this close is if Northwestern is content to putter along on offense and then something outside the course of MSU's offense scoring on Northwestern's defense happens, which again, the problem is that doesn't really happen with Northwestern very often. They play it cinched up on special teams. Uh, Their offense is pretty careful about not turning the ball over, not hurting themselves. And that's what's gotten them to five and oh. So I think Northwestern wins. I think they cover. I just want to see something interesting out of Michigan state. That's all I want at this point. Do you realize that Northwestern was, Four carries for four yards away from pulling a Toussaint. Yeah, no, it they got they got very. They came so close to twenty-seven for twenty-seven, playing a Fitzgerald Toussaint. Um, yeah, win. In, a, in a two-score win over yeah. the competition for the division. So that again, that tells you the level they're playing at defensively. Which well, it doesn't make any sense for Northwestern to lose this game. So they'll probably come as close as they possibly can to losing without actually doing it because it's just what they do. Yeah. Speaking of what they do, let's get to a game that I think we can think is going to be much more enjoyable to watch. And that's Minnesota going to Wisconsin. The Badgers uh, are at minus 21. Was there anything in last week's Northwestern game that indicates a possible risk of losing the ax for Wisconsin? No, because as you discussed just a few minutes ago, it is important not to extrapolate too much out of results from games with Northwestern. Yeah. Games against Northwestern are meaningless for benchmarking purposes. So if you just ignore the fact that that happened, other than to say that Wisconsin is capable of fucking up enough to, to lose occasional games. Yeah. They'd have to, they'd have to do a lot more against a defense that puts way less pressure on you. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything in what we saw, what we've seen from both of these teams that indicates Wisconsin's going to have the same problems running the ball that they did against Northwestern. Of the three defenses Wisconsin has played so far, they've played two bad ones and one good one. Which of those can, which of those categories does Minnesota fit into? I think we got plenty uh, of them. Yeah, the first one. Very bad defense. So... <laughs> It's much more likely, I think, in this game that Wisconsin runs for six or seven yards a carry. Mertz is able to keep like 20 pass attempts or fewer. You know what? I think that's a good way to look at this game. If Graham Mertz is able, the fewer pass attempts that they have for Mertz, the better off they are in this game. And I don't know. I haven't seen an update on whether Danny Davis or Kendrick Pryor is supposed to play. Obviously, having those guys helps. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, even without them, Wisconsin might be able to make some plays against a pretty darn vulnerable back end for Minnesota. Well, 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the other thing is Minnesota has to take extra, like it's Minnesota has a lot more to worry about in preparing for this game than Wisconsin, because Minnesota surely has done enough homework to understand that they can't necessarily trust that Wisconsin isn't going to infect their starting quarterback with fucking coronavirus, which I get more angry about every time I think about it. Yeah, well, even though I, the science of reinfection and everything is still kind of up in the air from what I understand, the one thing you're pleased about if you're Minnesota is, well, look, Wisconsin's carelessness has already presumably exposed most of their roster. So the odds of a second outbreak through Wisconsin between now and the game seems pretty long. I guess if you're looking for silver linings, that would be where you go. We'll yeah. continue on. One more crossover game here before we finish up with the coup de gras of the games this season or uh, uh, this week. Rutgers <laughs> going to Purdue where they get 13 points. And I forgot to do a proper outline on this game because this game feels pretty forgettable in the light of the other clashes we have this week. I mean, it's it's hard to go up against the Eli Buck and the Heroes game. And Buck, you Philistine. Philistine. What did I say? Oh. He's- yeah, it's the Illabuck, you Philistine. And whatever. How do you know? You haven't seen it in like 20 years. Oh, I saw it in 2008, just before Beanie Wells jumped over Dante Hardeman and took the fucking thing back. <laughs> oh, man. Beanie Wells was a bully. Uh, <laughs> okay, so. He was mean. I promise we'll find something interesting to say about Rutgers at Purdue. So, Purdue. 13-point favorites at home. <clears throat> I guess you could look at this as, well, the two teams are in very different places from a motivational standpoint. Rutgers, even in the loss, can tell themselves, all right, look, a team that absolutely wiped the floor with us last year, this year we took him to three overtimes. We've only got the one win on the season, but we've played a lot better. This Purdue team is gettable. They've got threats on offense that we're going to have trouble with, but our strength is in the secondary. Maybe we can line up with David Bell and Rondale Moore and actually play him to a standstill. I think the then you got then you got Purdue, which you know they their their defense was really gashed. They just barely survived uh, this game last week, which I thought you know it seemed like their defense had really stepped up this year, but obviously Minnesota proved that, proved that, that they could still be had on defense for, for, you know, for an entire game. And Purdue was lucky to survive that one. Yeah. And look, there, there were things that were put on tape against Purdue's defense that are going to be pretty easily replicable, right? Which is if you get in, you know, long passing situations on third down, especially you just go max protect and you trust them to send a blitz that's not going to get home. You pick up and you take a shot to your top receiver downfield. And they have Rutgers has a guy in Bo Melton who they've turned into a reasonably effective deep threat this year. I don't know how much space Rutgers offensive line is going to make for them against Purdue's front. Now that they have George Karlaftis back in particular, he's a very disruptive threat both against run and pass. Purdue is the better team here, but the other the other thing to keep in mind is kind of the motivational situation that I was referring to there. I feel like this is a situation where that line's probably a little bit too big. I think I would take the points, but I think Purdue probably still wins this game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to come down to, um, I mean, 
both both these teams just played really close games too. Um, it's just it seemed more like it, it seemed more like uh, Rutgers overperformed their expectations in their game that they're coming off than did Purdue. So yeah. I still like Purdue in this one. They've got a versatile offense that I don't see how Rutgers can really slow down. Um, no disrespect to Rutgers, which is actually a football team these days, but you know. Then the next person is to slow down David Bell will be the first, and Rondale Moore hasn't gone anywhere. Right, and really the game plan with Purdue last week, as far as Moore was concerned, was still relatively limited. They didn't target him as a downfield receiver much, and I get that that's never been the strongest point of his game. Being he's a little bit on the short side, really, they've always tried their best to get him the ball quickly, you know, swings and screens and things in the flat and let him do what he does with the ball in his hand immediately. But I would I would expect them to use him a bit more downfield this game, and obviously wherever he goes, he commands a lot of attention, even though I think David Bell is really the bigger threat in terms of the vertical ball. Having both of those guys available, I'll be interested to see if they stick with the run a little bit more as well, because I don't know why they went away from Xander Horvath in the second half of the last game, but they did it. And it, that's such a trend in this conference this year where we've seen coaches go away from running backs who are getting good yardage and I just don't understand it but I think Purdue wins this game let's pivot now to our last game the 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 train wreck of the week which is Penn State traveling to Michigan who are four point home favorites we were so close so close to the prophecy coming true of 0-5 0-5 Penn State going to 1-4 Michigan. Alas, Greg Schiano had to have his NFL moment, and they missed the field goal that would have won them the game in overtime, and they eventually surrendered the win to Michigan so that now Michigan's a pedestrian 2-3. and three. If they're 1-4, then this matchup is like everybody point and stare. Instead, it's just kind of a slightly off-putting thing that you want to put in the corner and not make anybody look at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, man, I wonder if there has ever been a less hyped Penn State versus Michigan game ever. I can't imagine. No, I, I for what? Well, for one thing, this is the first time in school history that Penn State has started zero and five, and there really have not been very many seasons where Michigan has started two and three or worse. So I no. The odds that they that there has ever been a lower wattage game between these two teams seems very unlikely. Um, we mentioned in the review that Penn State is going to be without Pat Fryermuth the rest of the season. His absence, I think, p- p- causes an even bigger problem for an offense that's already sputtered considerably. I mean, basically, in terms of threats, they're down to Jahan Dotson now, and that's about it. They've gotten nothing out of the running game. Their quarterbacks are turn, both turnover machines, whoever they want to go with. I mean, shoot, I almost wonder at this point, given their 0-5, further down the depth chart and see what they have in other quarterbacks. Are they going to give Will Levis more run? Do they go back to Clifford? It, there's a lot of choices they could make there. And then Michigan's also had some pretty serious injury problems here. Last week, they started three new guys on the offensive line. Um, their center of Astartes did not play against Rutgers and they're still missing both tackles so my understanding is eventually those guys are thought to come back I haven't heard any of them labeled as season ending type injuries but it's 
you know, it's no wonder that it took them a while to get the running game started last week until last week. I just wonder if Michigan's going to have learned anything. Are are they going to give the ball to McNamara from the start and let him actually play, first of all, in a game where he's not trailing by multiple scores? Are they going to give the bulk of the carries to Hassan Haskins, who is by far their best running back? I mean, the way the guy grinds out extra yards after contact, I can't imagine why they wouldn't give him 20 or 25 carries. Other than that, they've got three other guys that they insist on playing. So if Michigan you know, goes with their best players, they should win this game easily. I guess yeah. if they do that. They're four-point favorites, and Penn State is much more talented than their record shows. But if Michigan loses this game, it is for one reason, and that is coaching malpractice. That's the only thing that will prevent them from winning this game, in my opinion. But there's also a non-zero chance that that happens. And believe it or not, dear listener, I'm actually kind of sick of spending every single weekly review hammering Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. Um, Because we just kind of keep saying the same things because we just can't believe week after week how reliably they're proven true. But so help me God, if they lose this game, then only an Ohio State loss will prevent next week's review from being yet another breakdown of what the hell happened. Yeah, and I'm I'm tired of going to that place. But uh, here's the one thing that I, I think is a possibility, which is because they went through that triple overtime game and won, does that maybe put a little bit of spark of motivation and belief back in? Especially, again, like, I can't emphasize enough how different the body language was, which I know is kind of an overrated thing sometimes, but they just seem like a different team and they have a different belief level with McNamara versus what they did with Joe Milton, which feels like an unfair criticism of Milton, but I'm just telling you what I see. So um, I guess we'll see. It. I, I can't imagine that there's going to be a... This feels like a game where Michigan should be more motivated. They're at home, had better results, and what is Penn State's mind state right now? How how could they possibly give their best motivation for this game? I just don't see it. So that covers everything in the conference. There are a couple things of interest nationwide that I thought we could just run through really quickly. Iowa State-Texas... Texas is back in the rankings, so I guess you have kind of an inside view here. You think Tom Herman's job is safe now, or does it depend on the results the rest of the year? Basically, is there going to be an opportunity for them to deign to hire Urban Meyer? Are they are they going to settle for him, or are they going to have an opportunity to hire a real all-star this offseason? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously there was the whole thing where Nick Saban was a done deal and, um, you know, just for whatever reason, they decided not to do it. But uh, I I don't I don't know. I mean, when you consider that they really, by all means, should have lost to Texas Tech, that would probably color this season a little differently. But, um, you know, Texas people, all the people that the Texas money cannon uh, is nothing if not impatient. Uh, so <laughs> they haven't had a discharge in years. So, <laughs> although you know, honestly, yeah, they they're they're edging. They are I edging. Know, I guess it's also a fair question how much longer Shaka Smart has there if he doesn't give them some big time results. So they may have an opportunity to point it in a different direction. Looking you mean, up where they're going to fire two barrels out of the money cannon. 
<laughs> reload. <laughs> Looking elsewhere around the country. Shoot off screen to reload. Notre Dame's got their last real obstacle of the regular season and that they go to North Carolina before their inevitable rematch with Clemson. Uh, and we also have the Iron Bowl this weekend where you would usually say, look, and anything could happen in a rivalry game. Auburn's turned into a decent-ish team this year. But really kind of, I mean, at least in the national media that I've consumed recently relating to college football, it seems like Alabama is somehow flying under the radar despite returning to their old, like, wood chipper type of dominance over the SEC schedule they've played. Oh, because guess what? There's a bigger story this year, and that's there's this virus. Oh, I get that. But what I'm saying is, like, even outside of the time that people spend talking, like, there's still not talking much about Bama relative to the other teams. Like, get to the headline. When you talk about Clemson, it's because, well, Dabo's being a jackass relating to COVID. Their quarterback got it. You know, Alabama doesn't really have a front runner for the Heisman. Maybe that's part of it. But it just feels like a weirdly, I mean, I get that there's a virus going on. Believe me, I understand. But people are still talking about college football, and I feel as though this Bama team seems to get less attention than they usually do when they're this good. I don't know. Holy fuck. I didn't realize that they beat Kentucky 63-3. to Jesus Christ. It's my use of the term wood chipping, right? So, like, Holy shit. Didn't make that up. Um, all right. My God, they haven't had a touchdown scored against them in – They've been two whole games. Yeah, I know. That's why I brought that up. Fuck uh, me. My God. Well, Bo Nix is a magic man, but I don't think he's got that much in him. He's it. <laughs> try to understand, Andrew. Try to understand. Try, try, try to understand. He's a magic man. man. Elsewhere around the country, um, I was looking at the standings. Not so much. Not so much for this team's game this week. But Texas A&M, because of how early in the schedule they got squashed by Alabama, they have, as we've seen with other SEC teams in the past, been able to recoup their place in the standings. They're all the way back up to number five, which is, you know, they're they're in a position that if any of Alabama, Notre Dame, OS, well, I mean, not Alabama, because if Bama stumbles, they're not going to give their place to Texas A&M, who they beat by 30. But if any of Notre Dame, Ohio State, or Clemson stumble the rest of the way, I think Texas A&M is probably the next team in. The alternatives really would be that you go with a Pac-12 champion. Maybe there's an argument for an Oregon to do that. Or <laughs> I almost said that you could consider putting an undefeated Cincinnati in. But <laughs> hell no, because if you do that, then they might beat one of those teams and. <laughs> Uh, you know uh, what would happen then, right? <laughs> right. The revolution. Cats living with dogs, babies, having babies, the end times. Oh, yes. A, a truly unthinkable notion. But what can we say, folks? We, we like to have fun here. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire!